new instrument playing along with us today and the singing. I think we ought to give them a good old, and all the people said, yee, yee-haw. What's wrong with y'all, son? <laughs> and by the way, he's going to keep doing that every week, aren't you, bud? <laughs> he didn't answer that, so. If you will, get your Bibles and turn with you to Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse 22. Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse 22. Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 22. I'm going to ask you, would, to stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word together. We'll go 22 to 32. It's a story that you're familiar with. I'm sure you've heard it many times, but <clears throat> listen to the words this, as we read it. Matthew chapter 12, verse 22 through 32. Then one was brought to him who was demon-possessed, blind and mute, and he healed him so that the blind, man, blind and mute man both spoke and saw. And at the multitudes, and all the multitudes were amazed and said, Could this be the son of David? Now when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. But Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan cast out Satan, he divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I, ca- if, it ca- if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. But I cast out demons by the Spirit of God. Surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? And then he will plunder his house. He who, has, he who is not with me is against me. He who does not gather with me scatters abroad. Therefore I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else the tree bad and its fruit fruit bad. <coughs> For by a tree, is no, a tree is known by its fruit. Let's stop there and go to the Lord in prayer. Dear God, once again, we thank you for this opportunity to be here this morning. Lord, again, we lift up the ones that we know we've got quite a few people traveling this weekend and enjoying this long weekend. And Lord, we just we miss them, but at the same time, we just ask that you just give them an enjoyable, relaxing weekend and come back and just just to take part and just be a part of us again. Lord, we thank you for them. Protect them on the highways. And Lord, protect each one of us as we leave today and just go different places and just maybe short trips, but just Lord, protect us on these dangerous highways. Thank you for what this, this weekend means to us. And, Lord, we once again honor all of our soldiers, not only the ones that have given the ultimate sacrifice, but each and every one that has ever served or are serving at this time. Be with them and all these things we ask in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Today we're going to talk about a subject that's often asked a question. I can't tell you how many times I've been asked, what is the unforgivable sin? What is the unforgivable sin? Believe it or not, there are a lot of people that think they have committed the unforgivable sin. Maybe you've even wondered if you've committed the unforgivable sin by yourself. Let me start by saying this, and this is my belief. If you're concerned that you've committed the unforgivable sin, then the chances are you haven't done it. Because as we go through God's Word, watch what He says about this subject. 
I'll explain that a little bit more as we get in the passage. But during this passage that we just read, this parable, if you will, or, or miracles, both of them are involved there, we usually focus on a parable or a miracle. This one has both of them in it. You just saw it. He healed a blind man, but then he also did a miracle. And we'll see that in just a minute. I know I've said many times that every parable has a miracle. And every miracle is a parable. And that the way that God is so, you know, it just amazes me that God is so much smarter than I am. I mean, just I just, you know, sometimes I can't grasp that completely. But he just, he makes things so simple Sometimes we miss what he's saying. And it's just as simple as the noses on our face. But yet if we, we try to analyze it, we try to look at ways, well, I don't know about that. I don't know what I think about this. Quit thinking about it and just believe it. It's what we need to do because God speaks very plainly to us. And he talks about this subject. We'll talk about the implication of the parable that we just looked at. There's several things we can glean from this. Number one, the miracle. Jesus can deliver the most hopeless person. The Bible says in Matthew 12, 22 that we just read, Then one was brought to him who was demon-possessed, blind and mute, and he healed him. And that blind and mute man both spoke and saw. Now there's the miracle right there. That's the miracle we're talking about. Every parable has a miracle. Every miracle also has a parable in it. Once again, the term demon-possessed is really a mistranslation. That's not really the way it uh, should read. The term is just demonized if you really look it up and study it. So a better translation, translation would be that it was a demonic influence. And there are many levels of demonic influence in our world today. When you read this, uh, this story, the blind man and the, the blind and mute man was a victim of demonic influence. Wait a minute, I didn't see that. And you can immediately wonder, wait a minute, is every victim, every blindness, every sickness, every result a part of a demonic influence? The obvious answer is no. This is one of the few times in the Gospels where demonic affliction is associated with physical impairment. I know we hear about those a lot, but this is one of the few times in the Bible it's mentioned that way. There are many times that Jesus healed sicknesses. That wasn't related to demonic activity. And there are many times that Jesus delivered people from demonic influences where there weren't any symptoms of sickness. In fact, they far outnumber the ones that, like we're talking about today. There isn't any elaboration about this miracle. It simply says Jesus healed the blind, man, blind and mute man. So we could talk about, uh, we could both talk, he could talk and see after that Jesus did this. So that's, that's the miracle part of it. How tragic it must be for this man living in darkness and unable to talk or see all of his life. Just think about that a minute. How, imagine what his life must have been. He had to have somebody guide him around the whole time. He had to have somebody to express words that he could not express. He couldn't reply to somebody. He couldn't even say, he couldn't even speak to Jesus. He had no way of talking to him. He could not have confessed before Jesus did this. I want you to catch that because that's very important. Jesus took mercy upon him before he ever said a word to him. What does Jesus tell us? He says to confess your sins. This man couldn't do that. He had no voice. Jesus became his voice. 
that's the part of the story that gets good. That's what, what's what takes place. His family, his friends must have thought his case was hopeless. There's nothing we can do. Now, remember, this is 2,000 years ago. They didn't have doctors that can do things that we have done today. This man had no hope whatsoever. He was simply hopeless in life. But no person is beyond hope when Jesus comes into the scene. Isn't that great? No person is beyond hope when Jesus comes on the scene. I remember the, growing up and watching uh, Roy Rogers and Sky King and Lone Ranger and all those. You know, just as the, the people got, you know, it's almost at the point where they're going to get shot and killed, here comes the Lone Ranger riding in. Or how about Superman? Superman is always one of my favorites. You know, he'd fly into the scene. Look up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. Splat. Yep, it's a bird. <laughs> but Sunday, Saturday morning cartoons used to be fun. Have y'all watched cartoons, by the way, lately? I mean, it's useless. We won't get into that. The miracle here reminds me of a true story from a lady named Helen Keller. As a young girl, Helen contracted scarlet fever, and the illness left her blind, deaf, and mute. She grew up frustrated by her inability to communicate and often flew into uncontrollable rages. Her parents were ready to give up on her, but before they packed her off to an insane asylum, they made one final attempt. They hired a half-blind teacher named Ann Sullivan to see if she could do anything with this helpless, hopeless child. In 1962, there was a movie made about this title, entitled The Miracle Worker. Ann Bancroft played Ann Sullivan, and young Patty Duke played Helen Keller. You may remember it. It was a very popular movie back in the old ages. (laughs) They both won Academy Awards for these roles. If you saw the movie, you recall how frustrated and angry both Ann Sullivan and Helen Keller were about their inability to communicate. Finally, in the turning point of the story, when Helen feels water on her hand and Ann repeatedly spells the word water using sign language into Helen's hand, the learning curve from that point moved at an accelerated pace until within a short period of time, Helen Keller was able to communicate. Almost overnight, she went on to become the first deaf-blind person to earn a college degree. And before she died in 1968, she had written 12 books, traveled the world. In her own words, she describes this turning point in her life. Here's what she says. Once I knew only darkness and stillness. My life was without past or future. But a little word from the fingers of another fell into my hand that clutched the emptiness, and my heart leaped to the rapture of living. Can you imagine how despondent this man in our story, as well as Ann Keller was, as far as this, what they lived in. Total darkness. No way to communicate. And finally a nurse, a helper, came up with the idea of spelling a word out, a letter out. And then she would pronounce it and pronounce it and pronounce it. So she began to get it. That sounds like a testimony of my own life in a way. Once I was living in spiritual darkness, and a miracle worker came into my life and told me about a man named Jesus Christ. And oh, what a difference it made. Even though I wasn't physically blind, even though I wasn't physically handicapped, I was spiritually blind, and I had no hope of ever getting out of it. 
And one man, well, really three men, but one particularly, began to take an interest in this young, wavered boy and began to witness to me. And if I shared with you before, one Friday night in the area of Fort Worth, Texas, man, I had messed up again one of the countless times. And I was sitting on the street corner. I wasn't considering suicide or anything like that. I was just frustrated. I'd lost my opportunity to get a scholarship to play baseball. I mean, I just totally blew it all. And this youth director that had been witness to me, trying his best to get me to talk to him, I decided I'm going to go down and talk to him. And as God is my witness, folks, when I rang the doorbell of his door, he came to the door, he opened the door, and his words were, oh, we've been expecting you. I thought, how are you expecting me? I didn't even know I was coming. <laughs> and at that time, that Friday night, they were having a youth prayer meeting, and I was one of the main subjects. Don't tell me God don't work in your life, folks. Don't tell me God can't reach around things that seem hopeless, because I'm one of them. There in his bedroom, I knelt at the side of his bed, and I confessed Jesus Christ, and the darkness evaporated. Now, I'm not what I need to be, but thank God I'm not what I used to be. Folks, that's what Christianity is all That's what Jesus can do when he comes in our lives. You may feel that your life seems hopeless right now, that Jesus is a real miracle worker. And if you cry at him today, he can bring light where there was darkness. Or perhaps you've heard someone in your family or, family or circle of friends that, whose life is out of control, helpless, don't stop praying for them, folks. Don't give up on them. I don't care how bad they may be. Jesus can come and heal it. Jesus can heal them, whatever it is. Don't quit on them. Just remember, Jesus can deliver in the most hopeless situations. When Jesus performed this miracle, some witnesses wondered. He was the son of David, which was a title for the Messiah. That's a great title. But the enemies of Jesus, the Pharisees, the religious people, religious leaders, accused him of being using the power of Beelzebub, the power of demons, in other words. The name Beelzebub means the Lord of the flies. People observed that there were dead animals, and there would be swarms of flies around them. That's how it got the name. So, <clears throat> so they used that title. They equated flies and death with demons. But the point here is they were making this. Sure, this guy has some powers, but he gets his power from Satan, not from God, because he wasn't doing it the way we think it should be done. There was a, that's a very dangerous accusation. And Jesus used it as an opportunity to give a short, powerful, powerful that he did. The parable. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus probably almost laughed in the faces of these accusers and said something like this. If I'm working for Satan, then it doesn't make any sense for me to repair the damage he caused in this man. Then he says, if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Isn't it amazing how God can take just a little thing and make it sound so beautiful and we miss the whole point of it? It's a dangerous thing for religious people to say God's activities are actually from Satan. I remember when we first got married four or five years ago, 
and we, we had started, of course, I had become a Christian then. Judy raised up in Christianity and in the church and so forth. And so we, I got me a guitar. And I decided I'm going to learn how to play it. And we, we did some youth things and so forth. Then we, we got to go to places and people invite us and so forth, uh, banquets and things of this nature. But I remember one thing still in my mind to this day. This was right when the uh, contemporary music was beginning to come on the scene. And so we had one night, and I don't, I don't remember where it was, but we was doing some Christian songs and some little things that we'd written and so forth and, and just uh, having some fun with the songs. And, but we was doing one song. I'll never forget what it was. It's one of them way, way far out contemporary songs. It said these words, Get all excited, go tell everybody that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I remember seeing this one older gentleman in the crowd. And he got up and walked out while we were singing. Now, that's not uncommon for my singing, but that's, <laughs> this, that's not the story I'm trying to tell this morning. He walked out. And a little bit later, they had seemed like they had a we had a you know, buffet type thing or whatever, or just some maybe some snacks, whatever. And this man came back in, and he walked up to me, and he says, "I want you to know, I just don't think that music you're singing is appropriate to have uh, in the church." And then he added, "The guitar is the devil's instrument." Now, if it was a if the guitar is the devil's instrument, then I was doubly sinful because I played a twelve string guitar, Robert. But the story, the point is. He didn't like our music. And this is, this is in the 70s contemporary. It wasn't like the stuff nowadays. But he didn't like our music. But you know what? God was using those events to reach teenagers every week. Be careful when you begin to criticize the modern music. Well, I don't like that. God didn't ask you if you liked it. God says worship with it. Now, I, don't, I love the old music. As you can tell, I love Southern Gospel, and that's, that's me. But there's some good music that speaks of praise and worship in our music today. Don't be so narrow-minded we cut it out without really seeing what it says. Sometimes we sing the old hymn so many times we don't even pay attention to the words. We need to listen to the words of what it is. I'm not saying I like all of it. Don't misunderstand me. I'm still Southern Gospel. But... There's some good worship and praise songs out there that can get to people's hearts. And that's the point we need to make this morning. Number one, what do we see about this? What can we learn from this miracle, this parable? Let me give you four takeaway truths real quick. Number one, Satan is strong, but Jesus is stronger. Matthew chapter 12, verse 29, Jesus delivers one of the shortest parables in all the New Testament. He says, How can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? And then he will plunder his house. In this mini parable, if you will, the strong man is Satan. His house is the world. Satan is called the God of this world. Jesus is the one who came in, <coughs> excuse me, came into the world and he binds Satan and steals his possessions. But Jesus really wasn't stealing because all it was, that's the ones he robbed from Jesus in the first place. John 10.10 10 says this. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come. Now, folks, listen to this part. This is, this is, the, this is the, worth the whole price of admission. I have come that they might have life and they might have it abundantly. Did you catch that? He's talking to us. He's speaking to you and me. I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. 
Why are so many Christians inside the churches so despondent, so given up, just always down and out, just complaining about everything? Because they don't have the joy of Christ in their life. They may have salvation, but they've lost the joy of their salvation. And that happens every day, folks. We can go through trials, and I know trials get you down. I've been through them myself. If we're not careful, we'll let those trials get us down, and our worship will sink, and our prayer life will sink, and our fellowship will sink, and all the aspects of the Christian life will drop because we're worried about the things going on instead of who we should worry about. We should praise Him at all times. Satan is strong, but i got news for you. I know somebody that's much stronger. He came to bind him and reclaim him what was stolen. So don't be afraid of Satan. In fact, we read this word, Greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. It's impossible to be neutral about Jesus. Matthew chapter 12, verse 30 said, He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. Someone has said that this is the most narrow-minded statement in, that Jesus ever made. That may be true. In our current pluralistic society we have, tolerant America, religious mindset, it does show, sound rather intolerant, doesn't it? But that doesn't change the fact that it's true. That doesn't change the fact that it's true. We may not like it because in our tolerant society, well, we don't want to offend anybody. Folks, the Word of God does offend people. The Word of God cuts to the bone sometimes. It's made to wake us up and let us realize what we're doing. Jesus says, you cannot straddle the fence when it comes to him. You're either at this moment trusting him or you're rejecting him. That's what Jesus said. The only thing you cannot do is ignore him. It's also true that by our actions and words, we're either gathering people toward Christ or we're scattering them away from us. Every one of us. How do you act in Walmart when somebody cuts in front of you? Does it, is it the Christian character? Probably not. Most of the time it's not for me. <laughs> I mean, we get mad just like anybody else does. But, oh, if we could just remind ourselves of an example we need to be in everywhere we go, no matter where it is, in the line at Walmart after 45 minutes or up at the front line, it doesn't matter. It's also true that by our action and words, Again, we're gathering people toward, toward Christ or we push them away by the way we act, the things we do. There are no neutral actions when it comes to Christ. Are you attracting people to Jesus by your lifestyle and by your language? If you aren't, then you're pushing them away according to God's Word. In his classic book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite authors, of course from years ago, writes, listen to this, why is it impossible to be neutral about Jesus? He writes, I am trying to prevent the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a good teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said those sort of things that Jesus said would not be a, moral, a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level of a man who says he, he is a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up 
for a fool. You can spit at him. You can kill him as a demon, and you can fall on his feet, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great teacher. He was not. He has not left that open to us. How true that is. God doesn't give us that ability to do that. God says, trust me or don't. It's your choice. Some nations like uh, Switzerland claim to be that, you know, as far as the wars are concerned, they're independent. They're neutral. But if they're ever under attack, they'd be forced to change that position pretty quick. People who try to be neutral reminds me of a man in Kentucky during the Civil War. He tried to be neutral. He didn't want to be identified with the rebels, so he wore a dark shirt, dark blue shirt. But he didn't want to be identified with the Yankees either, so he wore gray trousers. As a result, he got shot from both of them. There's no neutrality when it comes to Christ. The third thing we see, God graciously forgives every sin except one. Now, I've had people say, is suicide the unforgivable sin? No, it's not. Because the day I was saved, Jesus not only wiped my sins from behind, but he wiped them ahead of myself. He's already forgiven me the things I'll do tomorrow or next week. You say, well, I thought we were supposed to confess our sins. We are. That's to get back in fellowship with God. But yet we, he's already wiped my slate clean. My reservation is already up in heaven. I've got me a big mansion that y'all are going to be jealous of. I mean, it's, it's already done. There's nothing I can do to get out of God's will. I could walk out here today and shake my fist at God in the, in the air and say, God, in case I haven't told you lately, I hate you, God. And you know what God's response to me would be? Yes, but I love you. I cannot get out of what God's given me. So all of my sins are forgiven. People say, well, you don't have a chance to ask forgiveness for a suicide. That's true. But if you already accepted Jesus Christ, you're already there. It doesn't matter. Now, I'm not suggesting we go out and commit suicide. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But at the same time, I want you to understand, it's not the unforgivable sin. God's forgiveness from a multitude of forgivable sins. It reminds me of Adam and Eve in the garden. God said, eat and enjoy the fruit of all the trees, but stay away from one. But instead, they just enjoyed those thousands of other trees. They focused on the one they told, were told not to eat. So what is the unforgivable sin? Let me tell you what it's not. It's not murder. Moses was a murderer, and he'll be in heaven when we get there. The unforgivable sin is not adultery. King David committed adultery, and God forgave him. It's not divorce. The woman at the well had been married five times, five different divorces. She was forgiven. It's not sin, although the Catholic Church teaches that suicide is the unforgivable sin. You don't find that in the Bible. Suicide is self-murder, and it's no different from homicide. Both are forgivable. You may say, well, a person that commits suicide can't repent of that sin because they're dead. If that's your attitude, then you don't understand salvation. Once you're a Christian, you don't have to confess every single sin in order to go to heaven. You have to confess every sin to stay in fellowship with God. Your ticket is already punched. You've got your ticket in your pocket. You're going to heaven if 
if you've confessed your sins and asked Jesus Christ to come in your life. So what do we get out of this? The only unforgivable sin is finally saying no to the Holy Spirit's call to repent and be saved. That's the unforgivable sin. In fact, Jesus said in John 16, 8, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. Before you can ever be saved, you must experience a sense of guilt over your sinful condition. Jesus said this is the role of the Holy Spirit to convict you of sin. That's what makes you feel guilty some Sunday mornings when you need to get your life in line with Jesus Christ. You're sitting in a church building somewhere, maybe this one here, and God's beginning to say, you need to do something to change your life a little bit. You need to make some changes. It's not my job to make you feel guilty. That's the Spirit of the Holy Spirit's job. Scary stories may bring fears and sad stories and bring tears, but only the Holy Spirit of God can bring true conviction of sin. The word blasphemy means to speak against. So blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is when a person says no to the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. We've had people before. I remember one at a church we used to be at in Bonham, Texas some years ago, 15 years ago, whatever it's been now. And it, I'll remember this to the day I die. I think I've shared the story, and I'll share it again. Every morning we had this young man, brought his family, had three kids, wife there and so forth. He'd stand at the back. We had the old wooden pews. Thankfully, we had the cushions on them. But anyway, we had the wooden pews, and he would grip that thing so bad. You could, from the front, I could see his knuckles turning white. He was fighting it so bad. The sad part of it is that went on for weeks and weeks. My, the music director myself talked about it many times. Did you see him doing that? And he was just fighting it. I got a call. That was on Sunday. He walked out the door. And as I was greeting at the door as I walked out, he looked me in the face. He said, I know what I should do. I just can't do it. He left the building. As God is my witness, Tuesday afternoon, about noon, I got a call from his family said he's missing, and he took a gun with him. Now, this was a young man, probably 25, 26 years old. His cousin came by and picked me up. We went out to see if we could find him. They had a big farm out there and so forth. And we drove around on his four-wheeler for a little bit, looking in places and couldn't find him anywhere. And so finally he says, I think I know where he might be. He said, when we were kids, we used to build a fort down in the woods, just a kid's fort. He says, he goes there sometimes just to think. And so we ride over there, and he was there. And he had taken a forty-four caliber pistol, stuck in his mouth, and pulled the trigger. Now, is he going to heaven? No. Not unless he made a confession before he did that. I hope he did. But as far as what we saw, he took a gun and blew his head off. I mean, literally. That's the worst sight I've ever seen. I've seen some deaths before, but that was the worst sight. This young man had three kids and a beautiful wife. I don't know what he was fighting. He had demons inside of him. I don't know what they were, but he was fighting them. Folks, what I'm saying is don't wait too long. I can't promise you a one in this room will be back here next Sunday because I can't promise I'll be back here next Sunday. The choice of Jesus Christ is too important to put off behind something else. Don't let this day slip by. Let me close with this. The only sin God won't forgive 
is terminal unbelief. And the reason God won't forgive that sin is because the person who commits it will never be able to ask God to forgive them. If you're someone who considers yourself to be an unbeliever, I appeal to you today to trust Jesus Christ. Every time you say no, it makes it easier and easier. The Bible tells us there can come a time in our lives when we can say no so many times that the Spirit of God leaves them. Now, I don't think I've ever known anybody that happened to, but that's what the Bible says. Don't turn Jesus down too many times. It's too important. You'll have an eternity to think it over. Let's close this out here. Every time you say no, it makes it easier to say no the next time. There is more to life than this life. One day we'll, we'll face eternity. If you consider yourself a believer, an unbeliever, excuse me, or you know someone who says they don't believe, let, me, let them know there's more to this life than what we see right here. Do you believe in, the li- in life after death? Or do you believe this is all there is? Do you believe that because you don't see God, how can you not see God in this world today? Drive around this part of the country. Now, we call this God's country around here, and it is. It's beautiful. I know it's rough and the rocks and everything, and, but, you know, I came from Arkansas. Not on purpose. I don't know. I did something wrong, but I, but, and it had beautiful trees. But it wasn't anything like this. I mean, those beautiful hills back in, oh, it's just gorgeous. And I know there's places that are pretty around this country, too, even Arkansas. But it just, but Texas is just so special. I mean, just, it's just pretty. In fact, Judy bought me something yesterday that just, oh, just made my day. I decided she finally started loving me. She bought me a big old picture of a longhorn to hang in the living room. I mean, it's, that thing's that big, isn't it? Beautiful longhorn sitting down there. Oh, it looks like Bevo all the way. I mean, it just is. But there's something about Texas and the blue bonnets and the, ma- the ma- maybe not mountains, but the hills we have. And it's just a gorgeous place. It looks like the Old West to me. But, folks, that doesn't even begin to compare with what heaven's going to be like. I mean, it's not even close. This will look like Arkansas compared to that. I'm picking on Arkansas, so don't. But it, uh, but folks, really, don't leave. Don't even leave this building without Jesus. You never know what's going to happen. I don't. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just saying, Jesus Christ is the only way for salvation. There are no other ways. Without Him, you don't have salvation. Let's stand this morning, dear God. We thank you, Lord, for this time we've gathered. And, Lord, we just, as we looked at this subject of the unforgivable sin, so many times it's so misunderstood. But, Lord, the fact that you lay out for us is that the only unforgivable sin is when we don't confess to you. Lord, we ask that go with us. I don't know if anybody in this room is in that category. I don't know who's here that doesn't know you. There may be reasons. I don't, I don't know. But, Lord, whatever it is, my prayer is that you break their heart this morning and bring them to where you want them to be. Our deacons will be here on the side. There'll be people you can talk to if you want to. Whatever the need you may have, nobody's going to force you to do anything. But we ask you to respond to Jesus this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.